everybody and welcome back to another episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12 year old. Today we're going to be reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets chapter 8, The Death Day Party. Um, this is uh, still the same day where I'm uploading maybe four, four episodes. Uh, the only thing is that this might be only three chapters because this is, I, I've, I've looked at the chapter, uh, how many pages there are, and it's quite a long chapter. Uh, so... Um, I, I was going to release three or four episodes, uh, I'm probably going to release four, uh, just, uh, three chapters, and one of them is in two parts, but I might do four, you never know. But without further ado, let's get straight into it. Chapter 8, The Death Day Party. October arrived, spreading a damp chill over the grounds and into the castle. Madame Pomfrey, the matron, was kept busy by a sudden spate of colds among the staff and students. Her pepper-up potion worked instantly, although it left the drinker smoking at the ears for several hours afterwards. Jenny Weasley, who had been looking peaky, was bullied into taking some by Percy. The steam pouring from under her vivid hair gave the impression that her whole head was on fire. Raindrops the size of bullets thundered on the castle windows for days on end. The lake rose, the flower beds turned into muddy streams, and Hagrid's pumpkins swelled to the size of garden sheds. Oliver Wood's enthusiasm for regular training sessions, however, was not dampened, which was why Harry was to be found one st late one stormy Saturday afternoon, a few days before Halloween, returning to Gryffindor Tower drenched to the skin and splattered with mud. Even aside from the rain and wind, it hadn't been a, hap it hadn't been a happy practice session. Fred and George, who had been spying on the Slytherin team, had seen for themselves the speed of the two new, of the new two uh, Nimbus two thousand ones. They reported that the Slytherin team were no more than seven greenish blurs shooting through the air like jump jets. As Harry squatched along the desert corridor, the deserted corridor, he came across somebody who looked just as preoccupied uh, preoccupied as he was. Nearly head was. Nearly headless Nick, the ghost of Gryffindor, Tower, was staring morosely out the window, muttering under his breath, didn't fulfil their requirements. Half an inch, if that... Hello, Nick, said Harry. Hello, hello, said Nearly headless Nick, starting and looking round. He wore a dashing plumbed hat on his long curly hair and tunic with a ruff, a tunic with a ruff, which concealed the fact that his neck was almost completely severed. He was as pale as smoke, and Harry could see right through him out into the dark sky and the torrential rain outside. You look troubled, young Potter, he said, felting a transparent letter as he spoke, and tucking it away inside his doublet. So do you, said Harry. Ah, certainly had this nick waved an elegant hand. No matter of importance, it's, it's not as if I really wanted to join. I, I, thought I, I, I thought I'd apply, but apparently I don't fulfill requirements. In spite of his airy tone, there was a great bitterness on his face. But you would think, wouldn't you? He erupted suddenly, pulling the letter back out of his pocket. That getting hit forty-five times in the back of the in the neck with a blunt axe would qualify you to join the headless hunt. Oh, uh, uh, yes," said Harry, who was obviously supposed to agree. I mean, nobody wishes more than I that he'd been quick and clean, and my head had come off properly. I mean, it would have saved me a great deal of pain and ridicule. However. Nearly headless Nick shook his letter open and read it furiously. We can only accept huntsmen whose head have parted have parted company with their bodies. You would appreciate that it would be impossible for members 
to participate in hunts activities, such as horseback head juggling and head polo. It is with the greatest regret, therefore, I must inform you that you do not fulfil fulfill our requirements. With the very best wishes, Sir Patrick Delaney Podmore. Fuming, nearly had the snake stuffed the letter away. Half an inch of skin and sinew, holding my neck on, Harry. Uh, most people would think that's good and beheaded, but oh no, it's not good enough for Sir Properly Decapitated Podmore. Nearly had the snake took several deep breaths and said in a far calmer tone, so, what's bothering you? Anything I can do? No, said Harry. Not unless you know we can get seven free Nimbus 2001s for our match against Slit. The rest of Harry's sentence was drowned off by a high-pitched meowing from somewhere near his ankles. He looked down and found himself gazing into a pair of lamp-like yellow eyes. It was Mrs. Norris, a skeletal grey cat who was used by the caretaker, Argus Filch, as a sort of deputy in this endless battle against the students. You get a bet. You get a bet. You better get out of here, Harry," said French. Said Nick quickly. "You'd better get out of here quickly," Harry said. Uh, "Said you better." I'm completely botching that sentence. "You'd better get out of here, Harry," said Nick quickly. Filch isn't in a good mood. He's got the flu, and some third years accidentally plastered frog brains all over the ceiling in Dungeon Five. He's been cleaning all morning, and if he sees you dripping mud all over the place. Right, said Harry, backing away from the accusing stare of Mrs. Norris, but not quickly enough. Drawn to the spot by the mysterious power that seemed to connect him with his foul cat, Arcus Filch burst suddenly through a tapestry to Harry's white, wheezing and looking wildly around for the rule baker. There was a thick tartan scarf around his head, and his nose was unusually purple. Filth! he shouted, his jowls a quiver his eyes popping alarmingly as he pointed towards the muddy puddle that had dripped from Harry's Quidditch robes. A mess and muck everywhere! I've had enough of it, Potter! I tell you, follow me! So Nick, so Harry waved a gloomy goodbye to Nearly Headless Nick and followed Filch back downstairs, doubling the number of muddy footprints on the floor. Harry had never been inside Filch's office before. It was a place most students avoided. The room was dingy and windowless, lit by a single oil lamp um, dangling from the low ceiling. A, s a faint smell of fried fish lingered around the place. Wooden filing cabinets stood around the walls from their labels. Harry could see that they contained details of every pupil um, Filch had ever punished. Friend George Weasley had an entire drawer to themselves. A highly polished collection of chains and, man and manacles hung on the wall behind Filch's desk. It was common knowledge that um, that Filch was always was constantly begging Dumbledore to let him suspend students by their ankles from the ceiling. Filch grabbed a quill from the pot on his desk and began shuffling around for parchment. Dung, he muttered furiously. Great sizzling dragon bogies, frog brains, rat intestines. I've had enough of it. Make an example. Where's the form? Yes. He retrieved a large ink roll, a roll of parchment from his desk drawer and stretched it out in front of him, dipping his long black quill into the ink pot. Name. Harry Potter. Crime. It, it was only a bit of mud, said Harry. It's only a bit of extra mud to you, boy, but to me, it's an hour of extra scrubbing, shouted Filch. 
a drip of a drip shivering unpleasantly at the end of his bulbous nose. Crime, befouling the castle, Suge suggested sentence. Dabbing at his streaming nose, uh, Filch squinted unpleasantly at Harry, who waited with bated breath for his sentence to fall. But as Filch lowered his quill, there was a great bang. On the ceiling of the office, which made the oil lamp rattle, Peeves! Filch roared, flinging down his quill in a transport of rage. I'll have you this time, I'll have you! And without a backwards glance at Harry, Filch ran flat-footed across the office, Mrs. Norris streaking alongside him. Peeves was the school poltergeist, a grinning airborne menace who lived to cause havoc and distress. Harry didn't much like Peeves but he couldn't help feeling grateful for his timing. Hopefully, whatever Peeves had done, and it sounded as though he'd wrecked something very big this time, would distract Filch from Harry. Thinking he should probably wait for Filch to come back, Harry sank into a moth-eaten chair next to the desk. There was only one thing apart from it, um, from his half-completed form, a large, glossy purple envelope with silver lettering at the front. With a quick, quick glance at the door, Checked that Filch wasn't on his way back. Harry picked up the envelope and read, Quick Spell, a correspondence course in beginner's magic. Intrigued, Harry flicked the envelope open and pulled out the sheaf of parchment inside. More curly silver writing on the front page says, said, Feel out of your step in the world of modern magic? Find yourself making excuses not to perform simple spells. Ever been taunted for your woeful one work? There is an answer. Quick spell is an all-new, fail-safe, quick-result-easy-learned course. Hundreds of wizards and witches have benefited from the quick spell method. Madam Zed Nettles of Topsham writes, I had no memory for incantations and my potions were a family joke. Now, after a quick spell course, I am the centre of attention at parties and friends beg for the recipe of my skin tillation solution. Warlock DJ Prod of Didsbury says, My wife used to sneer at my feeble charms, but one month of your fabulous quick spell, of course, I succeeded in turning her into a yak. Thank you, quick spell. Fascinated, Harry thumbed through the rest of the envelope contents. Why on earth did Filch want to learn a quick spell course? Is this, does this mean he was not a proper wizard? Harry was just reading lesson one, holding your wand, some useful tips, when shuffling footsteps told him that Filch was coming back. Stuffing the parchment back into the envelope, Harry threw it back onto the desk just as the door opened. Filch was looking triumphant. That vanishing cabinet was extremely valuable, he said, to Mrs. He said to, gleefully to Mrs. Norris. We'll have Peebs out for this one, my sweet. His eyes fell on Harry, which then darted to the quick spell envelope, and Harry realized it was too late. Um, wait, his eyes fell on Harry and then darted to the quick spell envelope, which, Harry realized too late, was lying two feet away from where it had started. Filch's pasty face went a brick red. Harry braced himself for a tidal wave of fury. Filch hobbled across the desk, Snatched up the envelope and threw it into a drawer. Did you... Did you, did you read? He spluttered. No, Harry lied quickly. Filch's knobbly hands were twisting together. 
I thought if you'd read my par private, not that it's mine, for, for a friend, um, be that as it may, however. Harry was staring at him alarmed. Filcher never looked madder. His eyes were popping. A tick was going off one of his pouchy cheeks, and the tartan scarf didn't help. Very well. Go! And don't breathe a word. Not that. However, if you didn't read... Go now, after I had a peeves report. Go! Amazed at his luck, Harry sped out of the office, up into the corridor and back upstairs. To escape from Filcher's office without punishment was probably some kind of school record. Harry! Harry! Did it work? Nearly headless Nick came gliding out of the classroom. Behind him, Harry could see the wreckage of a large black and gold cabinet, which to which appeared to be have been dropped from a great height. I persuaded Peeves to crash it right over over Filcher's office, said Nick eagerly. Thought it might distract him. Was that you? said Harry gratefully. Yeah, yeah, it worked. I didn't even get detention. Thanks, Nick. They set up off the corridor together. Nearly headless Nick, however. Uh, Harry noticed. Nearly had the snake, Harry noticed, was still holding Sir Patrick's rejection letter. I wish there was something I could do about you for the headless hunt, Harry said. Nearly had the snake stopped in his tracks, and Harry walked right through him. He wished he hadn't. It was like stepping into an icy shower. But there is something you could do for me, said Nick excitedly. Harry, would I be asking too much? But no, you wouldn't. What is it? said Harry. Well, this Halloween will be my 500th death day, said Harry, uh, said Nearly Headless Nick, drawing himself up and looking dignified. Oh, said Harry, not sure to look happy or sad about this. Right. I'm, I'm holding a party down in one of the roomier dungeons. Friends will be coming from all over the country. It would be such an honour if you would attend. Mrs. Mr. Weasley, Mrs. Granger would be most, most welcome, of course, too. But I dare say you'd rather go to the school feast. He watched Harry on tenterhooks. Uh, no, no, I can come. My dear boy, Harry Potter at my death day party. And he hesitated, looking excited. Uh, do you mention you could possibly mention to Sir Patrick how very frightening and impressive you find me? Of, of course, said Harry. Nearly had the snake beamed at him. A death day party, said Hermione keenly, when Harry had changed at last and joined her and Ron in the common room. I bet there aren't many living people who say who can say they've been to one of those. It'll be fascinating. Why would anyone want to celebrate the day they died, said Ron. He was halfway through his potions homework and grumpy. Sounds dead depressing to me. Rain was still lashing the windows, which were now inky black. But inside, all looked bright and cheerful. The firelight... Wait. Yeah, I think I read that sentence right. The firelight glowed over the countless squashy armchairs where people sat reading, talking, doing homework, or in the case of Fred and George Weasley, trying to find what would happen if he fed a filibuster firework to a salamander. Fred had rescued the brilliant orange fire-dwelling lizard from Care of Magical Creatures class, and was now in, and it was now smouldering gently on a table, surrounded by a knot of curious people. Harry was on the point of telling Ron and Hermione about the filch and the quick work spell, and the quick spell course, when the salamander suddenly whizzed into the air, emitting loud sparks and bangs that whirled, whirled wildly around the room. The side 
At the sight of Percy bellowing himself hoarse at Ron and at Fred and George, the spectacular play of, the spectacular display of tangerine stars showering from the salamander's mouth, and its escape into the fire with accompanying explosions drove the Filch and the quick spell envelope from Harry's mind. By the time Halloween arrived, Harry was going by the time Halloween arrived, Harry was regretting his rash promise to go to the death day party. The rest of the school were happily anticipating their Halloween feast. The Great Hall had been decorated with the usual live bats. Hagrid's vast pumpk- and Hagrid's vast pumpkins had been carved into lanterns large enough for three men to sit in, and there were rumours that Dumbledore had booked a troop of dancing skeletons for the entertainment. A promise is a promise, Hermione reminded Harry bossily. You'd say you said you'd go to the death day party. So at seven o'clock, Ron and Hermione walk straight past the. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Give me a second. I have to move the light out of the way. Uh, okay. Yes. So at seven o'clock, Harry, Ron, and Hermione walk straight past the doorway to the packed great hall, which was glittering inviting, inviting, invitingly, with gold plates and candles. Directed their steps instead. Oh, okay. Um. So at seven o'clock, Harry, Ron, and Hermione walk straight past the doorway to the packed great hall, which was glittering invitingly with gold plates and candles, and directed their steps to um instead towards the dungeons. The passageway leading to nearly headless Nick's party had been lined with candles too, although the effect was far less cheerful. These were long, thin, jet black tapers, all burning bright blue. Casting a dim, eerie, uh, casting a dim, ghostly light over their own living faces, the temperature dropped with every step they took. As Harry shivered and drew his robes tightly around him, he heard what he, um, what sounded like a thousand fingernails scraping on a blackboard. Is that supposed to be music? Ron whispered, as they turned a corner and saw Nearly Headless Nick standing at a doorway, and hung, hung with black velvet drapes. My dear friends, he said mournfully, welcome, welcome, so pleased you could come. He swept off his plumbed hat and bowed them inside. It was an incredible sight. The dungeon was full of hundreds of pearly white translucent people, mostly drifting around a crowded dance floor, waltzing to the dreadful quavering sound of thirty musical swords played by an orchestra on the black draped platform. A chandelier overhead blazed midnight blue with a thousand more candles, a thousand more black candles. Their breath rose in a mist before them. It was like stepping into a freezer. Shall we have a look around? said Harry, Harry suggested, wanting to warm up his feet. Careful not to walk through anyone, said Ron nervously, and then they set off around the edge of the dance floor. They passed a group of gloomy nuns, a ragged man wearing chains, and the fat friar, the cheerful Hufflepuff ghost, who was talking to a knight with an arrow sticking out of his forehead. Harry wasn't surprised to see that the bloody baron, a gaunt, staring, slithering ghost, covered in silver bloodstains, was being given a wide berth by the other ghosts. Oh no, said Hermione, stopping abruptly. Turn back, turn back. I don't want to talk to Moaning Myrtle. Who? said Harry as they backtracked quickly. 
She haunts the girls' toilets on the first floor, said Hermione. She haunts a toilet? Yes, it, it's been out of order all year just because she keeps flooding the place. I never went in there if, anyway if I could avoid it. It's awful trying to go to the loo if, with her waiting, wait, wailing at you. Look, food, said Ron. On the other side of the dungeon was a long table, also covered in black velvet. They had approached it eagerly, but the next moment they had stopped in their tracks, horrified. The smell was quite disgusting. Large rotten fish were laid on handsome silver platters. Cakes were burned charcoal black, and they were heaped on salvers. There was a great maggoty haggis, a slab of cheese covered in furry green, uh, furry green mould, and of course, in pride of place, an enormous great cake in the shape of a tombstone, with tar-like icing forming the words. Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington died 31st of October, 1492. Also, if any of you didn't know, I feel like this is a spoiler, but it's not really. Harry's parents also died on Octo um on Halloween. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm not I'm sure if it ha uh, that that's what happened. Correct me if uh, you think I'm wrong. But yeah, uh, Harry's parents actually died on the exact same day. Uh, of Halloween, and when uh, DMC Porkington died. Harry watched amazed as a portly ghost approached the table, crouched low, and walked through it. He held his mouth open, so, um, he held his mouth open wide, so that it passed through one of the stinking salmon. Can you walk, uh, can you taste it if you can walk through it? Uh, Harry asked him. Almost, said the ghost sadly, and he drifted away. I expect they've let it rot to give it a stronger flavour, said Hermione knowing knowledgeably, finching her nose and leaning leaning closer at the putrid and uh, leaning closer to look at the putrid haggis. Can we move? I feel sick, said Ron. They had barely turned around, however, when a little man swooped suddenly from underneath the table and came to a halt in midair before before them. Oh, hello, Peeves, said Harry cautiously. <coughs> Unlike the ghosts around them, Peeves the poltergeist was the very reverse of pale and orange and transparent. He was wearing a bright orange party hat, a revolving bow tie, and a broad grin on his wide, wicked face. Nibbles, he said sweetly, offering them a bowl of peanuts covered in fungus. No thanks, said Hermione. Heard you talking about poor Myrtle, said, hum uh, said Peeves, his eyes dancing. Rude you was about poor Myrtle. He took a deep breath and bellowed, Oi, Myrtle! Oh no, Peeves, don't tell her what I said. She'll be really upset, Hermione whispered frantically. I, I didn't mean it. I don't mind her. Uh, hello, Myrtle. The squat ghost of a girl had glided over. She had the glummest face Harry had ever seen, half hidden behind the lank hair and thick, thick pearly spectacles. What? she said sulkily. How are you, Myrtle? said Hermione in a falsely bright voice. It's nice to see you out of the toilet. Myrtle sniffed. Mrs. Miss Granger was just talking about you, said Peeves slyly in Miss Myrtle's ear. Just saying, saying, how nice you look tonight, said Hermione, glaring at Peeves. Myrtle eyed Hermione suspiciously. You're making fun of me. She said, silver tears wrapping, um, welling rapidly in her small see-through eyes.
Green is second. No, honestly, didn't I just say how nice Myrtle's looking? Said Hermione, nudging Harry and Ron painfully in the ribs. Oh, yeah, 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 she did. Don't lie to me, Myrtle gasped, tears now flooding down her face, while Peeves chuckled happily over her shoulder. Do you think I don't know what people call me behind my back? Fat metal, ugly metal, miserable, moaning, moping myrtle. You've missed out, Spotty, Peeves hissed in her ear. Moaning myrtle burst into anguished sobs and fled from the dungeon. Peeves shot after her, pelting her with mouldy peanuts, yelling, Spotty, Spotty. Oh dear, said Hermione sadly. Nearly had the snick now drifted towards them through the crowd. Enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, they lied. Not a bad turnout, said Nearly Headless Nick proudly. The Wailing Widow came all the way from Kent. It's nearly time for my speech. I'd better go and warn the orchestra. The orchestra, however, stopped playing at that very moment. They, and everyone else in the dungeon, fell silent, looking around in excitement as the hunting ho- as a hunting horn sounded. Oh, here we go, said Nearly Headless Nick bitterly. Through the dungeon wall burst a dozen ghost horses, each ridden by a headless horseman. The assembly clapped wildly. Harry started to clap too, but stopped quickly at the sight of Nick's face. The horses galloped into the middle of the dance floor and halted, rearing and plunging. A large ghost was at the front whose bearded horn head was under his arm, blowing the horn. Leapt down, and I have completely watched that whole entire paragraph. The horses galloped into the middle of the dance floor and halted, rearing and plunging. A large ghost was at the front, whose bearded horn was under his arm, blowing the horn. His bearded, ah, his beard, not bearded horn, his bearded head was under his arm, blowing the horn. Leapt down lifted his head high in the air so that he could see the crowd, everyone laughed, and strode over to Nearly Headless Nick, squashing his head back onto his neck. Nick, he roared, how are ya? Head still hanging in there? He gave a hearty guffaw, 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 um, guffaw, I'm not sure how to say it, and clapped Nearly Headless Nick on the shoulder. Welcome, Patrick, um, said, sir, said Nick stiffly. Livens! Said Sir, uh, said Sir Patrick, spotting Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and giving a huge fake jump of astonishment, so that his head fell off again. The crowd howled with laughter. Very amusing, said Nearly Headless Nick darkly. Don't mind Nick, shouted Sir Patrick's head from the floor. Still upset we won't let him join the hunt. But, I mean, to say, look at the fellow. I think, said Harry hurriedly, uh, uh, at a fr- at a meaningful look at Nick. Nick's very frightening and, uh, ha! yelled Sir Patrick's head. Betty asked you to say that. If I could have everyone's attention, it's time for my speech, said Nearly Headless Nick loudly, striding towards the blue po- striding towards the podium and climbing into the icy blue light. My late lamented lords, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great sorrow. But nobody heard much more. Sir Patrick and the rest of the Headless Hunt just started a game of head hockey, and the crowd were turning to watch. Nearly Headless Nick tried vainly to recapture his audience, 
but gave up as Sir Patrick's head went sailing past him to loud cheers. Harry was very cold by now, not to mention hungry. I can't stand much more of this, Ron muttered, his teeth chattering as the orchestra ground back into the as the orchestra ground back into action, and the ghosts swept back onto the dance floor. Let's go, Harry agreed. They backed towards the door, nodding and beaming at anyone who looked at them, and a minute later they were hurrying back up the passageway full of black candles. Pudding might not be finished yet, said that Ron hopefully, leading their way to the steps of the entrance hall. And then Harry heard it. Give me a sec, guys. I'm just trying to see how much longer there is. Uh, Harry... uh, actually, not that much longer to go. That's good. Okay. Um, Nodding and beaming at anyone who looked to them. Oh, yeah. Pudding might not be finished yet, said Ron, hopefully, leading the way to the steps to the entrance hall. And then Harry heard it. Rip. Tear. Kill. It was the same voice, the same cold, murderous voice that he heard in Lockhart's room. He stumbled to a halt, clutching at the stone wall, listening with all of his might. Looking around, squinting up and down the dimly lit passageway. Harry, what are you... It's that voice again. Shut up for a minute. So hungry. For so long. Um, listen, said Harry urgently, and Ron and Hermione froze, watching him. Kill. Time to kill. The voice was growing fainter. Harry was sure it was moving away, moving upwards. A mixture of fear and excitement gripped him as he stared at the dark ceiling. How could it be moving upwards? Was it a phantom whose stones whose ceiling whose stone ceilings to whom stone ceilings didn't matter? This way, he shouted, and he began to run up the stairs into the entrance hall. It was no good hoping to hear anything in here, where the babble of talk from the Halloween feast was echoing out of the great hall. Harry sprinted up the marble staircase to the first floor. Ron and Hermione were clattering behind him. Harry, what are we Harry strained his ears distantly from the floor. Uh, distant, yeah. Harry strained his ears distantly from the floor above, and growing fainter still, he heard the voice, "Blood, I smell blood, I smell blood." His stomach lurched. "It's going to kill someone!" he shouted, and ignoring Ron and Hermione's bewildered faces, he ran up the next flight of steps three at a time trying to listen over his own pounding footsteps. Harry hurtled around the hole of the second floor, Ron and Hermione panting behind him, not stopping until they turned on uh, the corner onto the, into the last deserted passage. Harry, what was that all about? said Ron, wiping the sweat off his face. I couldn't hear anything. But Hermione gave a sudden gasp, pointing... At something down the corridor. Look! Something was shining on the wall ahead. They approached, slowly, squinting through the darkness. Foot-high words had been daubed on the wall between two windows, the shimmering, in, shimmer, shimmering in the cast light by the flaming torches. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened. 
enemies of the air, beware. The Indian said that right. Okay, never mind. Uh, what's that thing hanging underneath? Said Ron, a slight quiver in his, to his voice. As they edged nearer, Harry almost slipped over. There was a large puddle of water on the floor. Ron and Hermione grabbed him, and they inched towards the message, eyes fixed on the dark shadow beneath it. All three of them realized what it was. All three of them realized what it was and leapt back at once. Mrs. Norris's Miss Norris, Mrs. Norris, the caretaker's cat, was hanging from her, by her tail from the torch bracket. She was stiff as a board, her eyes wide and staring. For a few seconds, they didn't move. Then Ron said, "Let's get out of here." Shouldn't we try and help? Harry began awkwardly. Trust me, we don't want to be found here. But it was too late. A rumble, as though of, as though of distant thunder, told them that the feast had just ended. From either end of the corridor where they stood, the sound of hundreds of feet came climbing up the stairs, and loud, happy talk of well-fed people. Next moment, the, the students were crashing into the passage from both ends. The chatter, the bustle, the noise died suddenly as, peop as the people in front sp spotted the hanging cat. Harry and Ron stood alone in the mass corridor as silence fell. As silence fell among the mass of students pressing forward to the grisly sight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, grisly sight. Then someone shouted through the quiet, "Enemies of the air, beware! You'll be next, mudbloods!" It was Draco Malfoy. He had pushed to the front of the crowd, his cold eyes alive. His usually bloodless face flushed as he grinned at the sight of their hanging immobile cat. So guys, that's going to be all for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Reading Harry Potter with a 12-year-old. Uh, it actually wasn't as long as I expected it to be. I, I thought it was going to be really long, but it actually wasn't. So that's pretty good. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this chapter of Reading Harry Potter with a 12-year-old. Uh, please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, check out the other, uh, the other episodes. And uh, keep and if you subscribe, uh, you can look at my future episodes. I will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye for now.